0: Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today is part two of our Splendid Isolation series, and we're happy to welcome back to the pod Matt D., who writes for our magazine and also writes for the Segunda Caeda website. We're going to talk about one of the Segunda Caeda projects now, which is this vast treasure trove of French wrestling from the 50s and 60s that they've been reviewing. Matt's going to talk to us about where the footage came from, some basics on, if you've never seen it before, what it's like, what you can compare it to, some of the stars that they have been able to figure out, and some of the best matches you can see. Matt's also an expert on Houston Wrestling under Paul Bosch, so we're going to talk about the recent footage that the NWA posted on their YouTube channel, and some other matches from that era that you can see from when the NWA On Demand project was still going on. We hope to maybe have another show this week. If not, we hope to have more next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace and our new series of show to try and help folks keep themselves occupied at this time. It's been a good long while, but I'm happy to have back a The Steps Magazine contributing writer and Segunda Kayeda regular Matt D. on the show. How's it going, Matt?
1: Good, good, Mark. Thanks for uh, having me on again. I think we've got some interesting stuff to talk about.
0: Yeah, the main thing, uh, we've been – this is something that's been on the agenda for a while, but now that we all have plenty of time to talk about stuff – You guys at Segunda Caeta are doing this project that involves wrestling that I'm sure many people have not only not seen before, but probably did not even exist. So why don't you tell us about French wrestling?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, as we know, the French care very much about their art um, and they kept incredible records, including all of the televised wrestling basically from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and this was stored in their national archives. And for years, we, we kind of knew that this maybe had been there. A few things have slipped out. Um, one person dropped a lot of money for a couple of Andre the Giant matches um, when he was very young. And we had the uh, Cesca versus KenZaro match, which um, blew everyone away when that showed up a few years ago. Um, but the sheer breadth of what was out there only became apparent a little while ago. And um, people were able to sort of use academic and professional credentials to um, get access to the archive and just see what the listings were. And it quickly became apparent there were around uh, 300 matches, um, including, you know, maybe 100, 100, you know, almost weekly matches from certain years in the 50s. So, yeah, I
0: was, um, was going to say this is not recent stuff. This is this would be the equivalent of stuff that was like the Dumont era wrestling in the United States.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, as we know, wrestling was something that you could film relatively easily. You didn't need um, to track the ball down an, an entire football field or something like that. You just had to have a hard cam on the ring, and um, it was something that was pretty popular. Now I think we're seeing because of this footage globally um, throughout the '50s, and it, you know we lose in the states. You know, we have I think we have probably a little more '50s footage than we do '60s footage um, for the states. I could be wrong about that, but here we solve a lot. So um, basically, what happened is someone was able to go in, uh, capture and download over 300 matches, and most of these matches are over 20 minutes long. Um, and we're going through them. It it is a daunting um, project, and as if we just jumped around, I think we would lose all focus. We do a little bit of that. We've tried to go chronologically for the most part. I know when the, I think you just said the DuPont, when that footage came off the Chicago Film Archive a couple of years ago, more than that now, um, it was sort of a mishmash, and everyone kind of jumped on it, and I don't think that there was any really focused, and comprehensive review of everything we are going through over the next three years at the span of, you know, two videos, which is basically a mat- two matches and a half a week, um, go through things, jumping at something shiny now and again, but for the most part, we're going to cover everything on Tuesday, um, late Tuesday, early Wednesday, post videos, um, which are now still generally behind a, uh, unlisted, the most part just in case you know more things do come up because we don't want to if we find new footage we don't want to get locked out mm-hmm. um, and, and people who are on the Pro and Only uh, discussion forum can probably find more of the footage if they know how to do that so yeah, you know, it is out there but we're going to go through it in a um, sort of uh, you know focused and walk everyone through it or three matches at the time, um, yeah. on Sagu So
0: Now for people that haven't seen this or have heard of it before, um, people probably are familiar with world of sports style from England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we have plenty of stuff from the seventies and eighties. Um, how would you describe the French style? Is there a quote unquote French style?
1: Um, not really. It is pretty tactical, and it's also pretty hard-hitting, but we've seen a range so far, um, and it's different in the 50s, into the 60s, and the 70s, and um, it's more than just a French style, too. You mentioned World of Sport. We get people, whether it be a young Al Hayes or um, Bert Royal or you know, Jackie Corn, Basically, people that we do see later in their career in the world of sports in the 60s and 70s, we see them pop up in France in the 50s. It was actually, we see people from Spain, we see people from Italy, we see people who are built from you know, Switzerland, um, Mexico, etc. So it was a sort of a hub. And I think what was going on is that there was a lot of travel around Europe with a lot of these same wrestlers um, and we just wanted to have the front footage. Now that said, it is... Um, it can be like lightning. Um, some of this footage can be so quick and so technical that 40 years later, it would be cutting edge. others um, it can be, you know, super hard-hitting with forearms and European epithets. Like, you wouldn't believe. Um, you know, the heels, when we get them, um, are incredibly daspidavid. You know, they could be full-on characters, especially as you get into the 60s. Um, and 70s. you get more and more outlandish characters. It's a little more subdued in the 50s where you might get uh, Sherry Beebe, who's a um, sort of jailbird strongman um, from you know, French culture. Or you may get Dr. Alfred Kaiser, um, who's a doctor of philosophy and the deal sort of the evil German. Um, there's a little... Yeah, not, not with a monocle in the walk, but it's sort of the same idea.
0: Well, that's because you wonder. Table. It's like, you know how popular quote-unquote, you know, World War Two heels were in the United States, both German <laughs> and Japanese, but this is also America. It's like you wonder what if somebody in France, say, in the late 50s or early 60s, would have actually tried doing a Nazi gimmick, what that would have been like. Probably wouldn't yeah, have been allowed yeah, for actually, one.
1: This is a little more subdued. It's, it, the fact that he's German has certain connotations. And then he has Kaiser for his last name, et cetera. Um, he, you know, he's mean and, and sort of um, at the same time will show ass and, you know, will bump around and, and stooge a little bit. Um, his finisher is generally just a dragon sleeper choke out um, standing. <laughs> I, I mean, that's one thing about these matches is that you see something that you wouldn't expect in almost every match something that's, you know, disappeared, whether it's, you know, so many Frankensteiners or Rana's or head scissor takeovers um, or people countering them into power bombs or, you know, just just things that just, it's very gift worthy. I'll say that. Um, And and you'll find five or six things per match that that make you uh, have a start because you just weren't expecting them.
0: Now you mentioned, Young Lord Alfred Hayes, is he probably mm-hmm. the. I mean, Andre is in a separate category, but mm-hmm. is is Alfred Hayes probably the best known person to your average American wrestling fan that you might see in this footage so far?
1: So, you know, there's a little bit. I think we have like a little bit of King Curtis. Um, there is um, a Fit Finley from 1980 match that we did where he was sort of the second banana to a more experienced Irish. Hero. Um, there is a a few other things. We thought we had a Pat O'Connor match, but I don't think it's actually in there. Um, I think it was just mislabeled. And, you know, for people who know, um, some of the, the British guys, you know, you won't get, um, people who are a little more familiar. Um, I think we have a odd job, you know, a a Tosh Togo, Harold got a match in there somewhere. um, there's a lot of Eduardo Carpentier. Car- Carpentier. See, I'm going to butcher all the names. But he's still called Eddie Weiss at this point. So that's a name I think people might have expected. Um,
0: now, yeah, most, is... me most wrestling fans, other than like your strictly average WWF fan, but presumably those people aren't listening to this podcast. But we all have experience of watching lots of Lucha, in a language we don't quite understand, but can pick things up. Mm-hmm. We all watched plenty of Japanese stuff over the years that we know. We even if we don't know Japanese, we know certain words and what they mean, what especially if they're moves. Is it the same in French? Because I, the the best translation for French I could give is, if you read Jonas Carey's book about the history of the Expos, there's a whole section in there of how mm-hmm. the French commentators had to invent words for baseball because they didn't exist in french is watching french wrestling in french similar to that where eventually you pick up what their names for stuff are
1: um yes and no you know there's still some things which i am waiting to try to figure out the names like um you know they have sort of a flip uh, power bomb type thing which i wish we i don't know what to call it um they have sort of uh, put the feet on the head and then twist while the persons on the ground. I'm not sure what they call that. I will say that um, the announcer and we have someone um, OJ over on Pro Wrestling only who's French speaking um, lives in japan he's he's done a lot of doing a lot of research sort of on the side on this and you know he, he we do know who the announcer is for the most part. he is um very spirited at times. I, th- I think he's very enjoyable, a lot better than I think some of the 50s announcers we have in the States that sort of make it almost sound like a uh, comedy news show. So um, you get a sense of it. I, I watch it generally with um, the closed captions on and Google translated into English, and um, you can follow a lot that way. Um, usually in the first minute or two of the matches, between falls because sometimes you get multiple falls. Um, you'll learn things about the wrestlers and you'll learn things about what's going on. Um, I'm still getting a sense of cards. Um, you know, we just found, uh, I think, a poster for one of the shows we just did and it was interesting to see, you know, the whole card and some of the names that were familiar to us now. Just, I mean, one thing, you know, you mentioned names that are familiar to us. We're every week, almost, we're encountering new people and sometimes people for the second or third time and getting some familiarity. But you know, every week when you, you see a new name, um, there is a sort of suspense of you know, this is going to be some kind of lost classic worker. And more often than not, that's been the case.
0: So since we are recommending stuff for people to watch, mm-hmm. um, if you could pick out one or two things of the things that are public – that you would <laughs> recommend to people that we can put in the description. Well, what would you recommend?
1: All right, so first I would say um, people can go to Secundicata. We have everything listed there, and the stuff that's not public, we can go there. I've only put a couple of things public, and I did that sort of to get the word out and to get uh, you know people aware of things. Um, the Burt Royal versus Tony Oliver match is – Exceptional. Tony Oliver is a Spaniard. He is um, just an amazing whiny heel in the gym break style. Um, just constantly, constantly going for the cheap shot, constantly going for something like, you know, an advantage, but it's still sort of wrestled like a title match, you know, like you'd imagine an NWA title match with a lot of going in and out of holds. And um, that one is pretty exceptional. Um the, I think I put the uh, Luis Helgaio versus Renee Gerber match public, which is um, Gerber's another guy, East West, who is just an amazing heel. He gets the crowd swiping at him, um, you know, which that that's what you want out of life is to see um, the front row going after the wrestler. And he is uh, well worth watching. This is a guy we have maybe one and a half matches of Tony Oliver. We have... I think two matches of, we just got another one with. And again, just constantly heal that. You know, some of the stuff we've seen has been super technical. Um, we did a Prince Petit versus Michelle Salmier match, which I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is sort of that Ray versus um, Psychosis traveling match, where, uh, you know, just the, the way they catch each other off the ropes, the counters, the step overs, the the way they fly around is, um, you know, these are from the 60s and, and amazing. And we did just last week um, do a full match of theirs, which has about 20 minutes of them going in and out of holds with um, Songnier, who is sort of the maestro of Prince McTee, and um, just grinding him down and cutting him off so that they build it to the last 10 minutes of just them really building and building and going. So those would be ones that stand out. Um, though, again, we're finding these stuff every we gonna, and the things I didn't even mention here are some of the slugfests because they get pretty brutal.
0: Cool. Um, just to veer off for a second, we had, the NWA mm-hmm. posted some Houston mm-hmm. stuff yesterday And we were kind of figuring that it may just be all stuff that had been on the NWA on demand channel when that still existed, but there was some new stuff that we saw Mm -hmm. yesterday. So I would say, tell people to watch that. And since you were one of the, the Houston aficionados, what's some Mm -hmm. Houston stuff out there? um, uh, Certainly with people that we all know that you would probably recommend. I assume there's plenty of, uh, Bachwinkle that you would recommend giving your you're like one of the sure. biggest Bachwinkle fans on mm-hmm. on the net.
1: Yeah, it's funny because we were talking about Bachwinkle. Uh, I was talking with uh Loss from from For Us and only today about Bachwinkle because I think Dave post uh something about how Bach was so good at you know carrying guys, which is actually not something we have a lot of footage of. We. Have, you know, we most of the footage we have with Blockwinkle is against really good guys. Yeah, you know, he sometimes wrestles some of the older guys in the AWA. But that sort of came to mind that Dave probably hasn't seen this stuff out of Houston. Or he's wrestling Morton, you know, Ricky Morner, he's wrestling Dick Slater. Or, you know, he's wrestling uh I mean the dusty one we already had, but um Chavo Guerrero. You know, there's I think one really great match with Chapo Guerrero where Shavo is the local guy who Bockwinkel is underestimating, and um, you know that's sort of rule of three where the heel gets the first two and acts really cocky, and then the babyface gets him on the third, and then it goes from there. So I mean that's great. Um, if you watch one match from Houston, uh, it's probably the um, either the Flair versus sorry yeah, the Flair the funk. Versus race match, or the um, Johnny Valentine match we have, uh, which yeah, any Johnny Valentine you get is well worth seeing. And we have one from '73, which is just a total slugfest. It's just you know, it's just a bloody brawl. And most of the stuff you can find on YouTube. It was uh, exciting to see a new match, which you know they did convert more than they actually put up, probably. And we'll see how things go in a couple of weeks. The new match was a um, Tiger Conway versus Superstar Graham match from 80, which uh, we had a later one where he was sort of in Kung Fu mode. um, Sorry, we had an earlier one. This this one was a little bit later, where he was sort of in between um, the muscle man with the long hair and Kung Fu. He wasn't quite the Kung Fu yet. He was still pretty bulky. uh, Which, you know, it was nice to See Tiger Conway in front of other people like that because there were a lot of people chatting on the side, which was sort of an interesting environment. But Graham, you know, is not the most dynamic worker.
0: i will say it was a tease for your long ago abandoned Tiger Conway project.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of Tiger Conway footage out of the Houston stuff. Where he was a local hero, you know, the son of a local guy who had business there. Um, where he was a really Great baby face, uh, some over-the-top matches, like there's a Tully Blanchard match um, for the Southwest title, which is really good. Um, a lot of tags, but he'd also do comedy with the mixed matches and things like that, too. So, yeah, I, I did write the long, one long, long article on Gino, but I, I did never get to the tag Conway because life got in the way. And then the footage was sort of over and it sort of the moment was past.
0: I was just thinking when you said Bachwinkle didn't have to carry guys, or you know, we mainly saw him against good workers. It's like my first thought was Jimmy Valiant. <laughs> it's like
1: yeah, I, I, yeah.
0: It's just that's just that's such now that's now such an infamous match, and it's like I get you know it's proof you know they said you know like Bachwinkle and Flair could have a good match with anybody, but it is possible for even Bachwinkle and Flair to not for there just to be a total stinker one night.
1: Yeah, there are matches with Bakwenko, but I think Arne is good. I don't like the Vern and the Hogan matches too much because he's sort of bumping like crazy for him, and it's good that he's doing it. Um, His worst opponent, Bert. (laughs) I know know, it's funny for me to say that, but I think Bakwenko and I had a very similar opinion of um, Brody as a worker, and he just... Birdie was a guy that was not going to give Bachwinkle anything and doesn't get the idea that if the babyface gives the heel stuff, then it'd be more when you know the babyface triumphs over the heel. Um, I don't know what to tell you there. If someone didn't want to play ball, there was only so much like Bachwinkle could do.
0: The interesting thing I thought about Bachwinkle, when we were looking at that stuff yesterday, I was looking up some other stuff, and it was stuff about there was a card from – uh, Oakland in like the early eighties mm-hmm. where it was Bockwinkle versus Tito. And then it was mm-hmm. Patterson and Stevens versus Adonis and Murdoch or, um, Adonis and Ventura. Wow. And I was, and it was funny cause I was looking at all these Patterson results cause we were trying to, I'll tell people we are trying to figure out, there's a famous promo on YouTube that Randy Savage cuts for, when he's in ICW and he's mm-hmm. challenging Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens. And I'm like, I've never heard of this actually take, I mean, ICW was full of grandstand challenges so I was asking you I was like that never really happened did it and you're like probably not but I was looking at results on cage matches and I was seeing all these when they were the during the like 8081 when Pat was going back and forth between WWF and AWA and there's a bunch of six you know there's Patterson and Stevens and then there's some six mans with them and there's also a couple tags where it's Bockwinkle and Patterson as a tag team, and I thought, I don't recall seeing that too often am i am I mm-hmm. right that that's sort of like the rare pairing of that of that group
1: um yeah that that is a rare pairing I mean, you know when Stevens moved over, Patterson didn't come there for another number of years for the most part, and you know they would do shows in California, but definitely. Definitely rare. I mean Bakwinkle was, was busy. Patterson was busy. So
0: And like I said, these were yeah, I mean this this list of, I mean these matches I was looking at were AWA matches, I think, but mm-hmm. they were but they were on the West Coast in and they may have they may have been AWA run in the Bay Area or they may have been for Shire. I'd have to go back and look. But I mean it was AWA cruise. But mm-hmm. I, so, I mean, that's like the place probably where if they would be – if the, all three of them would be together, that's probably where it would have been. Yeah. Matt, um, we had some technical difficulties, so we're cutting our time a little short. But uh, other than other than the stuff on Segunda Kaeda, is there anything you want to plug
1: you know, that's that's my main outlet right now. Uh, we do, on Tuesday night, the French catch stuff. On Friday, we take a look at what's going around um, that's new, and we do new footage Friday. Um, I think this week we have a, a new Claudio versus Hero match that sort of popped up. Uh, we're probably going to do, you know, Rob Bahari posted a uh, Psychosis versus Ultimo Dragon match, and I think we have... Um a pirate fight, a pirate camps, um, Fit Finley match from Germany because they have so much of that new German footage popping up almost on a weekly basis. Plus a ton of Puerto Rico and other stuff too. Japanese handhelds, etc So I mean that that's the other thing that I do over there is um just just always looking for that new footage, you know. Even though um even though, you know, maybe I don't love everything that's going on right now currently. There was always new stuff popping up in the old days.
0: We talked about this in the last show with Cubs. Have you watched the match from a month or two ago that he posted between Volador and Casas yet?
1: Mm-hmm. From what year?
0: It was from, like, February.
1: Oh, no. no, I haven't seen any Volador in 2020. I, I cannot speak to the quality of our friend Volador Jr. in okay, the year no.
0: 2020. Sorry. G- no this was from um this was from they had a match on one of the Sunday shows at arena, Mexico, so it gets put on one mm-hmm. of the other weird Mexico channels that we don't you know it's not on the c m l stream that yeah. we all watch
1: yeah it's always good when that stuff flips out though I mean, I'm yeah, glad when it does
0: but I haven't yeah. watched it yet, but he reviewed it the other day and gave it great, and he said it was. What did he say? I have to go I haven't i have to go back and listen even though we just talked about it last night. But he said it was sort of Casas doing more personality stuff mm-hmm. than maybe than he gets to do on a normal Tuesday or Friday. So I know I know Volador is certainly not one of your favorites, but Casas certainly is, so maybe mm-hmm. maybe you'll stomach it at some point.
1: Yeah, I mean hopefully you didn't take the sunset flip power line like he always does against Volador. Um it is fun because, you know, if you do a search for for Negro Gazas almost any week, you find him doing indie stuff um, down in Mexico against guys you may have never heard of. And he does do a lot of personality stuff when it comes to there because he, he's not going to do big bumps or, you know, he'll, he'll do some, you know, he'll pick up the pace a little bit in the match, but the first few minutes will usually all be him stooging and fooling around with, you know, local guys. So there is a lot of fun stuff to see there on an almost, let's say, monthly basis. Yeah. We live in lucky times.
0: I was going to say there is, I mean, like you said, you there's not a whole lot new stuff to always get excited about. I mean, I do not watch any new American stuff these days. I think you dabble in and out depending on whether what you have to write about. But, uh, yeah, luckily there is there is no abundance of old stuff that you either – never got to see the first time around because you weren't born yet or that's Mm -hmm. just been uncovered. I mean, personally, like I said, I'm going to start, we mentioned this on the podcast, uh, last podcast that I'm finally going to restart the 2014 Buscadilla and Italo review, which I think lasted Mm -hmm. two posts and got sidetracked. So there's that. I've been watching a lot. It's funny. I've been watching a lot of early 86, Mid-South, right when it becomes the UWF. And this is stuff that just randomly pops in my YouTube feed, and if I see it on the front page, I watch it. But I've been watching that, but I've also been watching the first couple weeks of the UWF after Crockett bought it. And it's it's certainly different, I'll say that, and the the 87 stuff is a little disheartening from being a huge Mid-South fan at the time. mm mm-hmm. It's like it's still good, but it's like you can tell right away that it's not the same show, and it's not just because it's different guys on there. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: that may be something to write about on a future, in a future issue or on another pod. But, um, Matt, thanks again for your time tonight. Yep. Happy to um, do it. Yeah, hopefully we will be maybe having another episode this week. If not, we should be having some next week. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.